Sometimes when I've had a long day, honestly, the last thing I want to do is think about what to eat, even though I, I love to cook. I mean, sometimes, let's just face it, we don't want to spend the time figuring out the ingredients, the recipe, going to the grocery store, and then you got to face the cleanup. That's when Factor comes in. I just pop one of their delicious meals in the microwave for two minutes, and voila, I have a restaurant-quality meal. I personally like to plate it and make it look pretty, and I tell myself, wow, look at this beautiful pork shop you just threw together. I love that Factor is flexible with my lifestyle. I can cater it to my dietary needs. Like, let's say I'm leaning vegetarian one month or keto the next, and I can change how many meals I get week to week to fit my schedule. I seriously look forward to the Tuesday delivery date in that Factor box on my doorstep. So why not give it a try? Head to factormeals.com slash dinners50 and use code dinners50 to get 50% off. That's code dinners50 at factormeals.com slash dinners50 to get 50% off. This episode of Dinners on Me was recorded on May 24th, 2023. Hi, it's Jesse. Today on the show, the creative culinary marvel that is Roy Choi. We'll talk about the rise of Kogi and what it was like when a series of his restaurants closed in close succession and wandering Hollywood Boulevard as a teenager. Uh, I was horrible at panhandling. I couldn't ask anyone for a dime to save my life. You know, so. This is Dinners on Me, and I'm your host, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Roy Choi and I met years ago through my friend Natasha, who is his badass right hand. He's become a chef that I follow closely, and I really admire the intention around the food he creates. I think I can safely say if Roy Choi has opened a restaurant, I have eaten at it, probably multiple times. Justin and I were there on day one of his restaurant Local in Watts. We even attended a pop-up concept he did with Flaming Hot Cheetos. I've always been inspired by his story. He was never handed a free pass into the culinary world. He's hustled every step of the way, something he learned not only from his parents, but also from the streets of downtown LA. Roy is the quintessential example of taking control of the steering wheel of life and creating the career you dreamed of no matter where you came from or what your obstacles might be. I have been in the orbit of Chef Roy Choi for over a decade now, but this was the first time I'd actually gotten to spend one-on-one -on -one time with him, and I couldn't have been more excited. I asked Roy to join me at Damian in downtown LA. If you don't know the name, you might know Chef Enrique Olvera's other restaurant, Puyol, in Mexico City. Damian's modern Mexican dishes are exquisite, and I was absolutely blown away by the chef's attention to detail. Let's get to the conversation. So I have just finished listening to your audiobook. Oh. I've had the book uh -huh. for 10 years. And I read it 10 years ago yeah. when, it, when it came to me. And, you know, the, the book ends kind of around the Kogi period. Yeah, before any of that happened. Yeah. Yes. Kogi was one of those situations that not all of us get to experience in life. And then those of us that do experience it, you know, hopefully we have the maturity and the depth to be humbled by it. And what I mean by that is having a fucking phenomenon happen mm -hmm. in your life where yeah. your whole universe just cracks open and you go from just being anonymous to everything just happening mm -hmm. overnight. And then it just keeps building and building and building and you change culture. I never expected it to happen to me. So mm -hmm. once that does happen, and you may know about it, like dealing with fame and things, 
things change, right? The rhythms and the intensity of life changes. Things are coming at you. Your access to things. Your ability to get caught up in that greed or Mm -hmm. or all of those sensations and all those things. So I was at that moment where everything was changing in my life. And I knew that nothing would be the same or I might not remember everything as it is five years from now. And I don't know how I had the clarity to see all that at that moment, but I told my Tan Tin, the co-writer, I got to write this now. I got to honor everything that got me to this point because, you know, shit's about to change. I felt like my language was going to change. I don't know if I would still have the same connection to the streets or the the memories as I would. And I felt like this was the last moment. I could I could yeah. bring that to life. Oh, interesting. Know? Meaning that you feel like success and where you've gotten was going to change the yeah. way you were moving forward. Yeah, maybe not change me philosophically, but mm-hmm. it would change. Because at that moment in life, I was still living in an apartment, living and breathing, yeah. Kogi. I had lost everything just two years prior. We were in no way rich or, or right. successful at, at that time. And I hadn't broke through yet, really. And I was still like on the beat. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Hi. Welcome to Damian. Oh, yes. And this is your first time to Damian? Yes. Fantastic. I'm so excited to try this. And we are excited for you to try it as well. We are a Mexican restaurant uh, here in the heart of the Arts District. Mm -hmm. Today you'll be enjoying our ceviche. Um, That comes with a lovely serrano cured compachi and some green olive koshu. Our corn tamal, which is new on our menu and into the season, is a corn cream with estrella ocetra caviar. And to end it all off with, our lovely duck carnita tacos. Um, Those are going to be served with a little bit of shiso salsa verde on the side. Um, And you can't miss dessert. So our popular hibiscus meringue with a raspberry curd in the center. So excited. Y'all hear that? (laughs) Y'all did y'all hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Which agua fresca? Oh, I'll I'll have the Palo Santo and I want to try the papaya one as well. Well, I just got to tell y'all, you have an avocado agua fresca. Can you describe that? I'm not going to order it, but like I want to hear. Absolutely. The avocado is not like super creamy Uh, like most avocado smoothies, Mm -hmm. let's say, you'll find. Um, But it's super simple. It's just Uh a little bit of lemon, um, very refined. Um, We honestly just. Do you like pureed? You blend, blend it, it and then strain it so that exactly. so you get just the exactly. pressed juice on it. Super nice and silky, smooth, easy drink. Mm. Um, mm. Great on a summer day, truthfully. You know what? Maybe I'll do it. Try it. Why not? We'll get it. your honest reaction on, yeah. on air. Avocado, and the papaya. I mean, it's really like intriguing, an avocado yeah, agua fresca. Really, so. very, and then just listen to you talk about it. I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know what? Um, I'm probably going to try a different one later, though, too. Absolutely. The papaya is also a, a favorite because okay. it has a jasmine tea infusion in there. Yeah. Okay. Some calpico, which is fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Calpico. Thank you so much. You know much. what calpico is? No. It's a Japanese... Um, Dehydrated milk soda. It doesn't sound delicious, I know, but is it, it's so like a, fucking a powdered. Good. Yeah, so I think what they do is they probably take like the powdered milk mm-hmm. or the powdered yogurt milk and then they emulsify and infuse it with like, you know, sweetener and right. carbonated water, but it's so delicious. It's perfect with like udon or tempura or nice. things like that. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll probably taste a little bit in the yeah. papaya when you order it. For sure, for sure. Just to back up a little bit, because we were talking about Kogi so much, and Kogi is, it's a phenomenon, I I would call it, here in Los Angeles. Um, It's really what put you on the map here in LA. You certainly had been successful cooking in other places, but this was uh, kind of the birth of the success of the food truck. I mean, food trucks definitely existed, Mm -hmm. but it sort of 
ushered in this new era of elevated food that you can eat on the streets. And I mean, to explain- And technology too. Yes. First of all, it's food. First of all, it's street tacos that represent Los Angeles, that taste like Los Angeles, that taste like our part of Los mm-hmm. Angeles, which is specifically this area, Oil Heights, East Los Angeles, Koreatown, downtown, uh, South Central. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the core of LA. It tastes like how our city feels and looks. Mm-hmm. If you were to transfer them to a taste, that's kind of what it yeah. tastes like, smoky, loud, really pungent and, and vibrant. But the thing about Kogi was that it, uh, we were just a perfect storm. We were like accidentally in the right place at the right time. Right. Everyone on my team, we had all lost our jobs. So we were all like jobless and like running out of money and scared and trying to figure things out. And then, you know, we had this idea that landed on our lap of what if we put Korean barbecue in a taco? We'd go in front of the club, sell it late night. It's going to change our lives. Our plan mm-hmm. was like we show up to the nightclub at 2 a.m. I mean, you put anything outside of yeah, a bar. Exactly. I remember going to Akbar and there's a lady who would always yeah. sell tamales. And then yes. when she, we, you would hear her arrive uh-huh. and like that bar would empty out. And all of a sudden everyone's on the corner yeah. buying these it's tamales. The party, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you'd go back inside. Well, we thought we didn't know where to go really the first. We just knew we had this taco that tasted crazy. And um, we didn't know where to go. But at that moment was when Pinkberry was hitting. Oh, I don't know Pink if you remember. Bear. Remember Pink Bear? And so we were I like, you know Pink what? Bear, West yeah. Hollywood, that's where shit starts. That's yes. where trends start. We're like, okay, we're going to park right in front of the Abbey on a on a Wednesday night. It's going to be popping. We're going to sell out, all this stuff. Oh, my God. We that's got such kicked a out. We got kicked out time. in like two minutes. Yeah. Wow. It's a marker of time. 2008, the Abbey, Robertson, Santa Monica. Pinkberry yeah. and Kobe. 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night. Yeah, wow. Pinkberry and Kogi. And then, so then what happens, we got kicked out within like two minutes. And so we just went, started driving down to Hollywood. And we ended up in front of the club. And we, we didn't have our game plan set in the beginning because the bouncers kicked us out right away. Uh-huh. So between the time we drove from the Abbey to basically the Arclight, we came up with a plan, feed the bouncers. So uh, that was our that was yes. our plan. So, so we, we adjusted on the fly. And as soon as we pulled up to so the club, we started handing out burritos to the bouncers. Because oh, the first thing is like, no, no, yeah, no you yeah. can't be here. You can't be here. And then we started handing out burritos. They took a bite of burrito. Oh, shit, you could be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You could be right here. Um, and then, uh, but the really the intersection to answer your question was that it was 2008. The the mortgage crisis was in full bloom, mm-hmm. and everyone was losing their jobs, losing their homes out on the street. But at the same time, the iPhone had just come out, and Twitter had just yes. started. Right. So you have this thing where we were starting social media, but it wasn't a mobile social media, and no one really was using it. You weren't using. Yeah. You were using it to just connect. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't using it to find things. You were using it to just connect with friends and stuff. So then Twitter popped off and no one knew what to do with it because we didn't have the language in our minds as as humans yet socially of like, oh, let me just post everything I do, you know? And so people were trying to add like celebrity value to Twitter, but it still didn't register of like, why would I need to use it? So the only things happening at that time were Larry King and Ashton Kutcher had a million followers, but people had no fucking idea like what that even meant. Mm -hmm. So anyways, all of that coming together, we started posting our locations on Twitter. Mm-hmm. People started looking on their phones. And then in this moment of depression and everyone not knowing how they're going to pay their bills, there's this really funny truck that just shows up, like a Chi Chong truck. Mm-hmm. And it became this scavenger hunt that just brought joy to people's lives. Yeah. And then at the end of that rainbow, because sometimes it would take people like two, three, four hours to find the truck, wait in the parking lot, yeah. wait in line. 
and then explore this new idea of like communicating and giving a live play-by-play of what's going on yeah. on Twitter, right? So all of this is happening in the middle of the night, you know, like at 2 a.m. And then when they finally got the taco in their mouth, after like four hours of going through all this, it all like was as good or better than promised. Yeah. And so then that just literally within two, three weeks, shit just lit on fire, you know? So this is all November. Then by February, the national news media caught a hold of it. And it was over after that. Oh, the agua fresca's here. Yes. This well, it looks like she brought you. I got the avocado here. It's not what I was, I was expecting to be a little thicker and it's delicious and light. I'm trying the papaya. And so you could definitely taste the calpico in there. So when you drink that one, the back note that you'll taste is the calpico flavor, which is like a. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like a, it, I don't know how to. It kind of reminds me of something from my childhood. I can't quite put my finger on it. Hmm, maybe like a creamsicle or something. Creamsicle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that what? Yeah, yeah. Is that what? Maybe creamsicle condensed milk or a creamsicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's delicious. And now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, Roy talks about what it was like as a kid having to see his parents close the family restaurant, and how as a teenager he'd attempted panhandling on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay, be right back. I love my home. I do. I love it so much. But I also love vacationing. I work a lot. And sometimes it it bothers me to think how often I'm not actually there to enjoy it. I mean, whether I'm going on a fun vacation with Justin or traveling to New York for work, there's big chunks of time that I don't get to relish that sofa I pined so hard to buy or bake cookies that I can make with my stand-up mixer that I got for Christmas. And I realize there is a way that I might feel better. If I became an Airbnb host, I could make use of the space when I'm away and make some extra cash. I mean, my next vacation could essentially pay for itself. Like, my extra Airbnb cash could go into an account for that trip to Paris I've been pondering, and then basically the trip is free. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, I know that's not technically how math works, but okay. Also, if we're saving money hosting, this means I could do some shopping, right? And the weather is also very nice in Paris at this time of the month, and I just feel like it might be... Okay, you know what? I'm going to talk to Justin about this. Um, thank you for letting me share this epiphany with you. I appreciate it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I love what I do. I also love the idea of not doing it one day, but it's getting harder to know the best way to move forward into the future towards retirement. We hear about inflation, rate hikes, the changing market, got to get the kids through college, build an emergency fund, and then there's retirement. Here's where Fidelity comes in. Fidelity can help you find clarity in saving for the future, even as your path and priorities evolve. How? Well, they'll help you create a free personalized plan that adapts as your priorities change. They'll also show you what's called timely insights, small tips on ways to save and invest to help meet your goals. And you can monitor your plan so you stay on target. The future's coming and so is retirement. Fidelity can help you take it on your way. Learn more at fidelity.com future. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. Um, so I kind of want to talk about this interesting period that you had in your life 
So your parents had a restaurant, um, mm-hmm. the Golden, what was it, the... Silver Garden. Silver Garden, mm-hmm. yes. And, you know, your mom was very known mm-hmm. for her cooking, specifically her kimchi, but then together they opened up this wonderful restaurant. So you were immersed in the food of your culture from a very early age. Yes. I mean, you were born in Korea. You moved to the States at two, but then, like, you were always kind of around that food. Yeah. I just find it very fascinating that you ended up back doing the thing yeah. and embracing that culture, and that was the thing that put you on the map. But going back to like being a kid and like you have this great story in the book that I just I found so heartwarming of, Mm -hmm. you know, having the space in the back of your parents' restaurant in Anaheim that was called the Treehouse. Oh, it was the like trap a se- facility, uh, our study room. Yes. Yeah, it was like where you would do your homework yes. and there was a bed back there if you wanted to sleep and you could just, you know, spend time yeah. while your parents were out front running this restaurant. Absolutely. Like, talk to me about that time. If there are any immigrant kids listening to this right now that grew up in restaurants or small neighborhood markets, mm-hmm. y'all will understand. Anyone listening that didn't grow up with that but have eaten in those places, you guys will understand. You know, that chubby little kid running around a restaurant, a pho restaurant or a Korean restaurant or a taco spot, you know, maybe even riding the big wheel through the dining room, you know, or whatever the case may be, giving errands and being told what to do by their parents. And they're just shrugging and sighing and saying, not right now, mom. You know, that's me. That was me. I was one of those kids growing up in in the restaurant. And it's just one of those things where I think that also built a lot of like how I look at life and how I go through life where there are no separations of time or business and family. Like everything is all blended in one. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case for everyone. I get that because like a lot of people have parents that go to an office, right? And then they come home and then, you know, you're not at work anymore. But for me, we were always at work. Even when we were, weren't at the restaurant, we were making kimchi at home. To bring, we were breaking a lot of health code rules. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were making the kimchi and making the sauces and everything at home, and then bringing them to the restaurant. Yeah, because just my mom was just a, a, a maniac. She couldn't stop cooking. Yeah, like she would cook all day. She would get to the restaurant like eight or nine in the morning, prep all day, get home like midnight. For you, Leah, mm-hmm. tell us what we have here. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. No. So you are enjoying the Palo Santo with a little bit yes. of basil seed. And, of course, I give you both a little bit of Thank our you for that. papaya so you can both enjoy it. Avocado fresca. We always greet with the botanas. So botanas are lovely homemade tostadas with a little bit of almond mole on the side. Mm-hmm. Pickles, both cauliflower and castellano olives. The ceviche. The ceviche to be enjoyed with the tostadas. It is a serrano cured compachi in an olive koshu with some celery and serrano. Oh, thank you. So beautiful. So anyway, she couldn't stop cooking to save her life. So she would be cooking all day, all night, 12, 14 hours a day in the restaurant, come home, cook more, and then go to sleep for a couple hours and then wake up at like 4 a.m. and cook more again for breakfast. Like breakfast was never a bowl of cereal and a Pop-Tart for me. Mm -hmm. It was like this meal we're about to have. It was like 40 different things. And I look back now and all of that stuff shaped me, obviously. Mm -hmm. Of course. But back then when you're 14 or, you know, I mean, did you just want puberty? I just wanted fruity pebbles, you know. And especially when your friends are over, like, you just don't open that refrigerator, you know? Like, you're just like, bro, you're just begging your friends don't go in looking for a Coke, you know? Because what do they guys see? Like, fish heads. Oh, yeah. Fish heads, fish guts. Um, Containers just bubbling, stains everywhere. But but that's the food I grew up on. That's the food I love. I was never embarrassed of it. The only time I ever got embarrassed was 
it was a rare occasion that I'd hook up with someone and be able to bring them back to my, my place, right? right? So this one time there was this girl I was really fucking digging and like we were about to go on our first date and all this stuff and I usually never brought anyone to the house. But I felt like this would close the deal, you know, like mm-hmm. I was that close. And so I was like, I'm going to show you my house. We're going to hang out. We're going to watch movies, all that stuff. Of course, on that day, my mom's making the stinkiest food you could ever make in our cuisine. Like the stinkiest. Yeah. Like even when people that grow up around that food, when you walk in, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then so that was the day I brought her over, and yeah, we didn't end up hooking up. <laughs> but that was the only time I was ever embarrassed of the food because I was just like, mom, you had to make this. She knew right. too. She knew that we were coming, and she just wouldn't change her schedule. Yeah, because like. For her, food is on a schedule. She's got to make this braise sure. on this day yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like hatch, hatch chilies in, yeah. in New Mexico. Like yeah. there's a moment and you can't miss it. You have it, a window you know? of time. You got to do it then. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the only time I was in bed. But it was, I loved growing up with that food, you know, and it was a huge part of everything I did. But um, I don't know. When I started being a chef, I think I decided that I didn't want to be an Asian chef for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one was that, I understood how much work and culture went into food, especially like Chinese food and Vietnamese food, Korean food. Like these are like recipes and methods that are passed down over like a millennia, you know, like thousands of years. And it takes 20, 30, 40 years to perfect these things, like how to manipulate a wok or do, you know, cook Peking duck or whatever these Mm -hmm. things. I just knew that I wasn't trained in that stuff and I didn't want to like front. I didn't want to like put together some makeshift thing before I even understood it. So that was one, it was out of respect. But the other was for us as as minorities in this country, we're always constantly fighting racism, whether it's overt or subversive or Mm -hmm. people say it under their breath or say something to you in a very passive aggressive way. So every time I would be cooking or um, someone would stop me or I would walk out to the dining room when I was coming up as a cook or a chef, they would ask me, so is this a Chinese restaurant? We didn't book for the Chinese uh-huh. restaurant. Wow. You know, you know, and people say that shit, you know, like you obviously don't experience it because you're white, but for us, right. we get those arrows all the time. So there was just mm-hmm. something about that that I held on to, like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to show these motherfuckers that this ain't a Chinese restaurant, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just really decided to explore everything except Asian cooking and try to perfect my skills in that arena um, and build my muscle memory there. Yeah, and Well, so, on the flip side of that, I mm-hmm. mean, so much of the base of, like, what you do, is, I mean, to study classic French cuisine, that's sort of, like, cooking, from what I understand, I didn't go to culinary school, yeah. but sort of, like, cooking 101. I mean, like, that's yeah. where you, you begin there. Back then, it was like classical training. This is the only path you can go. You learn the the that's it. The foundation, foundation, boom, yes. boom, boom. Yeah. Now it's different, obviously, because of social media and all the uh, you know young cooks and being having all these inspirations. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was go to culinary school, learn French technique, stage in right. a French kitchen. Maybe in twenty years, you can pop out and start something of your own. Mm-hmm. But you would never even. And I'm talking not too long ago. I'm talking about the late 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s. Yeah. That's only that long ago where you would never even think of or imagine starting off as a young 25-year-old cook and opening a place like this. Whereas now you could, right? right? right. You could be the hottest restaurant in the city right. as long as your food is good. But, but back then there were some, there were still some- There were uh, hoops, to, there, were, there were dues to pay. Dues to pay, there yeah. Were, yeah, for sure, I totally get it. But um, before I, I move on from your parents' restaurant, I just mm-hmm. want, I, I know that, you know, with the change of the neighborhood, this place that was such a popular 
institution, mm-hmm. that the clientele started to go away. Can you talk to me a little bit, just in the eyes of a kid, what was it like watching your parents' yeah. empire crumble? It was sad. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I don't know if you remember listening to it in the book, but there's a line in there where I was cleaning out the refrigerators and the food, yes, that my, I but my mom kept refilling them, mm-hmm. you know, because she was cooking so much. At the height of Silver Garden, we would, I would say, we were doing 400 covers mm-hmm. a day, right, all mm-hmm. day long, which, which is, is busy, busy, you know, yes. busy for a restaurant. And so that requires a lot of prep, a lot of mm-hmm. food, buckets and buckets of stuff. And then, but, but by the end, we were maybe doing 10 mm-hmm. people, you know, like empty restaurant all day, all night. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was still cooking for 300, 400 people. Yeah. Um, you know, I was too young to really help my mom, but I was old enough to to see what was going on and to mm-hmm. have an emotion about it. And it was sad because all I could do was quietly go in the refrigerators and take out the rotting mm-hmm. stuff. But again, she would just refill it. And it was one of those things where she was fighting to the end and then it was over the next mm-hmm. day. It was really emotional. I don't remember at all and we've moved so much as my family. I'm so used to this kind of like abrupt move. Like I've moved where my dad never told us we were moving. Hmm. Like like literally never told us. And then I, you know, I wake up and it'll pack your shit. Wow. We're going, you know. So like, so I was kind of used to it. But this restaurant was a weird one because it was such an integral part of our lives. And for a very long period of time, there was no like slowdown to everything. Because, you know, in everything you do when you make a transition, you start cleaning out your office, you start doing the Marie Kondo on everything, right? And then you start organizing, labeling, whatever. There was none of that. Like my mom was pumping food out the night before. And then all of a sudden the next day, the doors were locked. It was a pretty crazy transition. I'm sure. Absolutely. And, you know, as as a kid, you're just looking for stability and Mm -hmm. security and to, to have that ripped out and then also you know yeah. moving around like you said i can only imagine how hard that was for you mm-hmm. um you know i know you turned a lot in in those times you know you, you found comrades on the street your chosen family so to speak yeah. um and you know some of these people were you know you were in street gangs and you were mm-hmm. in the low rider rider culture which you know i'm I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so I'm very familiar with, you know, that yeah. that as well. I was not part of the lowrider culture. <laughs> they they did not have me. Uh, <laughs> believe it. I know that's a shock to you. But no, but I know that car <laughs> culture is huge. Yeah, out there. I, oh, huge. Yes, massive. But I find this this fast so fascinating that you would kind of find these hiatuses from your family and and come to LA for like weeks at a time. Mm-hmm just to sort of get away, but not necessarily having anywhere to go, kind of living on the streets, Mm -hmm. you know, bumming cigarettes, eating pizza out of trash bins, and then going back home to where Mm -hmm. you had food and you had a It was what was familiar to me because I grew up here in L.A., Mm -hmm. but my parents, we made a huge move when I was 13 to Orange County. And for those of you that know Southern California, that's like, I don't know, that's like moving from... From Paris to Albuquerque. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it's a complete change of pace, culture, everything. And I made a lot of great friends in Orange County, and it shaped a lot of who I was during my high school years. But I still yearned for L.A., and when I was having difficult times during high school, I just needed to get out of Orange County, and I just Mm -hmm. would come here, and I would just roam. I'd go to the movies during the day, catch a matinee, get high as fuck, just walk around, and just, again, eating, bumming cigarettes, eating food from the trash. You ever see that movie 13? 
Yeah. Remember that movie? Yeah, Remember yeah. all those kids hanging out on Hollywood Boulevard? Yeah. That, that's kind of like what I was. Yeah. That was me, man, just like hanging out. Uh, I was horrible at panhandling. So I, that's why I ended up eating food out of the trash because yeah. I, I couldn't ask anyone for a dime to save mm-hmm. my life, you know, mm-hmm. so. And now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, Roy talks about living in Times Square in the 90s and how seeing Emeril Lagasse on his TV changed the whole trajectory of his life. Okay, be right back. This episode of Dinners on Me is brought to you by BetterHelp. I have recently embraced therapy. I don't know why I didn't embrace it earlier. I think there was always maybe a little bit of a stigma for me. Like, if I had to go to therapy, it meant there was something really wrong with me. But once I let that all go, and I just realized it was something that was available to me to make me feel better about myself, better about my day, better about where I am in my life, just clear my head, just giving me someone else to talk to. I don't know, my relationship with it completely changed, and now I can't imagine my life without therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com dinners today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash dinners. You know what I love for breakfast? I love French toast. You know what I never make for myself at home? French toast. Why? Because the carb fear is real. But carb-heavy foods are often the ones we love the most. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. And you know what? Their products are delicious. And what I really love about them is that my kids also love Hero Bread. Hero Bread has something for every craving, from sliced bread loaves and buns to tortillas. Plus, monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites like the 2-gram net carb Hero Croissants or the 1-gram net carb Hero Cheddar Biscuits. Oh my gosh, those sound amazing. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero Co. and use code DINNER at checkout. That's DINNER at H-E-R-O dot C-O. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. The week that you spent in New York at the YMCA also is a, a oh, moment yeah. of your of your life. That I'm like, wow, I, that happened. Yeah. I had no money, man. I had like 300 bucks and I wanted to just stay as long as I could. So I just found the YMCA in Times Square at that time, which was $7 a night. $7. So you, just this imagine was, what you what you get for yeah, $7. Yeah, truly. Right? Well, yeah. and back in 1994, it was yeah. maybe a little bit more than now. But, like, that's all you said with 94, was that? That was 94, yeah. That's 94. also the year I moved to New York. Okay, so, I, so you I had, remember that New York. I, I yeah. do remember the New York at that time, and I remember yeah. Times Square at that time. Yeah. But I also had this, like, parallel moment when I was reading that and doing my own math. I was like, okay, that's the, the, literally when I came to New York to, like, go to musical theater school. Yes. I might have walked by you. You might have walked by me. Yes, Yes, I was there, and it was crazy. It was pre-Giuliani New York, you know, peep shows and triple X 
popcorn bars everywhere mm-hmm. in Times Square, dirty as fuck, everything yeah. crack everywhere. Yeah. And it was very dystopian New York at mm-hmm. that time, you know, like different than like the 70s and what you see from the Bronx during those times. This was different. This was more like everything just felt wild and like uncontrollable mm-hmm. at that time. And I was just staying there and um, yeah, I was just really vulnerable. And, you know, I got kind of like, what's the word, taken from my money on this long, long con that this guy got on me. I, I if I don't know who that was, but somehow in the universe, if this ends up in your ears and you're still alive, like... Applause. Job well done. Job well done. That con was long. He, he 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 invested in me for like a day and a half. You know, he ca- caught me outside smoking a cigarette in front of the YMCA. How old are you at this time? I was 24. Okay. And he just somehow figured me out, set up this thing that he was an adjunct visiting professor at Columbia, and he was doing this like mm-hmm. lecture and. He wanted me to attend. And anyways, it was this long scene smoking cigarettes next to me all night, you know, and the next morning even coming back and bringing me a cup of coffee. And, you know, it was a really wow. long con. And he's like, listen, I can go get the tickets now. So I gave him a couple hundred bucks for the tickets and he never he came, never back, came yeah, back. But it was, I just have to applaud him for that con. It was really good. <laughs> and, uh, Committed. And then right after that, there mm. was someone that uh, was kind of, I guess, listening and he saw the whole thing go down and. And then he came up to me right after, like almost like if he he had stepped in from stage right. He came in right after, and then he just you know offered me a, a hit of crack, and then you know took me up. We went up to the room. I smoked it. Then he over the next week, I just went down this crack hole. He took me up and down Ninth Avenue to score. I mean, just taught me all the ropes of like. It was a really wild moment. It was like yeah. a vignette, Jesse. Like it was just like for a week. 24 hours a day, just smoking crack, walking down up and down Ninth Avenue. And then this tour guide was, that was just teaching me all the little nuances and tri- you know tricks of the trade of that part of town mm-hmm. and what to do, you know, how to walk, don't give up your shoulder, only walk this on this side a certain way, don't look too hard at that, how to score the deal, who to go to, all these little things, man. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, you know. What ended that week for you? Was it oh, just yeah. like, okay, now it's time for me to just go home and I, I'm leaving all this here? Uh, I saw myself in the mirror. You know, it was really small. I mean, the room had to be 200 square feet at the most. It was, you know, you could barely fit a, a twin-size bed in the room. And, you know, uh, just being in that room with those dark curtains and dingy sheets and, you know, I don't know, I was just in there, stuck in that hole and only going out at night, eating like greasy pizza, you know, smoking crack, going back up, just hanging out. And then, I don't know, after a week, I just kind of like caught my reflection in the mirror. And it was, it wasn't like a a thing of like, I was disappointed in myself or anything like that. You know, nothing like that. It was just, I saw myself and I saw my mom and my dad and my sister through, through the mirror in my face. And I just looked at myself and I'm like, you know, you're good. You know, mm-hmm. people are waiting for you at home. Mm-hmm. It's time to move on. All that heartbrokenness had been mended and everything was just over. I needed mm-hmm. to kind of go through that whole thing. It could have lasted seven years or seven days, but yeah. it was one of those things where it was just over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so we yeah. have here lovely duck carnitas. Mm-hmm. The duck are topped with some radishes, a side of shiso um, salsa verde, mm. and chile de arbol, some zest, and of course, all the tortillas. There's plenty oh. more. What's in this? Them. Again? And that is our tamal de elote. Oh. It's a corn tamal with a corn cream on top, oh, and wow. cetra caviar folded into it. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, That's, the caviar. That's the caviar. That is. Oh, a, thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, really nice. Beautiful dish. 
Yeah, I want go. you to describe what it looks like because oh. you because your verbiage is gonna be way better than mine. Oh, I was like, there's green things. Well, everything is plated in these beautiful, like, hand-thrown bowls and plates, similar to what maybe uh, a lot of us in America remember with, like, a heath up in the yes. North Bay. But these seem even a little more refined. Heath has, like, a little bit of a heavy quality, mm-hmm. which I love, but artisan heavy, heavy qualities are very refined. A lot of gray and dark charcoal tones. And the food within this, like, neutral palette just pops because yes. you have... Reds, greens, pinks, purples, tans, and and cream and blacks, and it's just beautiful. So the duck comes out in this cast iron pan with like micro cilantro and all these herbs and radishes over the top. But it's like I can't see what's under these, but it looks like almost like a Chateaubriand in a way, where it's like mm-hmm. one long loaf. Yes, and it sort of just uh, and probably just falls shreds apart. Right oh off. yes, and it just shreds right. So it shreds like a posam or. A, like a braised carnitas, which oh, it is. I'm about to make a taco right now. We have these handmade tortillas. I came out a little basket. And then um, we have the basket of tostadas. And everything looks super, super like delicate, but also really hearty at the same time. Mm, that's right. Okay, I'm just going to bring you along on all the podcasts okay. now. <laughs> now a break for Roy to describe yeah. what we're eating. <laughs> hey, man, I, I'll take whatever I can get. Wow, this taco is delicious. Oh, I can't wait to try this. Enrique. I see you, man. Mmm. I see you. That's amazing. God, those flavors are so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming out of this sort of super dark time, kind of probably at your lowest, mm-hmm. is when we, I mentioned it before, but that out-of-body experience of seeing Emerald on TV and it almost seems like a fantasy sequence of a television show yeah. when you describe it in your book that, you know, he like, you felt like he was talking to you and he comes out comes out of the screen and you mm-hmm. feel his hand on your shoulder and it's you know that kind of revelation that you're like okay i think that food is something that mm-hmm. i want to explore and which again it brings me so much i'm so fascinated by this because it was something that was so immersed in your yeah. upbringing to return to it that way in a way that's like look it's been it's kind of like you know dorothy at the, end of the wizard of oz it was in your yeah. backyard the, the, entire, the entire time i was uh on the couch around this time in the afternoon over in the Palms area, right off 10 Freeway and National. Right there, I was in an apartment building and my, one of the last friends that was still putting up with my shit. Mm-hmm. And I was on his couch and yeah, the show was on. It was one of those where you're just like passed out on the couch and the TV's still on. Mm-hmm. And it was just like kind of like pulsating. And then finally it just kept getting larger and larger until Emerald, like just everything switched. Yeah, it was like a it was like a TV show. It just he went from just talking to like looking at the camera, mm-hmm. you know, and then felt it felt like he stepped out and like talked to me and all that. And just like the crack thing we talked about earlier, I can go down really dark holes, but I can pivot out on a dime. And I don't know why. Maybe that's just who I am. Maybe that's because of how much we moved when I grew up and stuff. But the moment that happened to me, I was at a really bad place. Jesse. I was like negative bank account owed people thousands of dollars. I was on the run, pretty much. Lost all my friends. And, you know, I was a step away from doing, like, horrible shit. I'm not a horrible person, so I would be the worst criminal in the world. You know, <laughs> I'll be, like be like the Three Stooges robbing a bank. Right. Um, but I was one step away from that because there was mm-hmm. nothing else. But because that happened, I got up, I went to the bathroom, washed my face, and just looked in the mirror and said, you know, it's time. You know, I was cursing myself. It's time, motherfucker. And then, so then I went to the bookstore, just spent hours researching chefs and wow. 
applying. I went to a night school here on Robertson, right across from Chaconis. In fact, yes, <laughs> crazy. But there was a little night school there for cooking, and I would go there and just like start to immerse myself. I started going out to restaurants and staging here in L.A. And then I got staging. By the way, is basically an internship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then finally, I moved to New York like a year later. Before we get there, because I, I know that that's when you went to culinary school at the, at the Culinary Institute of America. That, that's what it stands for, CIA, mm-hmm. right? CIA. First of all, what do you think would have happened had you not been on that friend's couch mm. with Emerald on? Do you think you would okay. have found this path eventually, or do you think that things would have been different for you? Mm. No, I, I, I probably would have tried doing some devious shit. Uh-huh. Right, I was at the point, at the verge of like, you were at a des- in the road. desperation. Yeah, so I would have started probably stealing, maybe a con man. Well, I don't know, yeah. I, but I was at the point where I couldn't walk a normal line anymore. You know, like I couldn't just go and get a job at Barnes and Noble or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was just too far gone mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, and so the only thing left are vices or or underbelly shit. So I was I was at the verge of that and just disappearing. It feels weird to say, but I could have been at the verge of prostitution. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm desirable or anything, but I, in that world, you see a lot of shit go down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you will do anything. Right, right. You know, wow. you will do anything. You'll fuck anything, you'll right. blow anything, you'll do anything yeah. just to get by, you know? So, and I'm just painting you exactly, you know, what yeah. it really was. I'm not glorifying or anything. It's just that's where I was. And I was right. one step away from whatever that decision is going to be. Mm-hmm. Jail, death, blowjobs. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> I don't know what it is, yeah. but it's one of those Your three. options are that. <laughs> yeah, those are your options. Wow. Pick a door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, my other part of this question is, I'm sure I, I know... And you've talked because you talk so much about this moment and such a defining moment. Uh-huh. I, I can only imagine you've been amongst Emerald since. What 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 is your? How would you talk to him about this moment in your oh life? I'm God. sure he's aware of it. It took a while, but the moment was set up for us to meet. We did an episode on Top Chef together. This was about. This is the first time you met him in person. First time I met him in person. My first time on Top Chef as a judge. It ended up being an episode shot in Alaska. And, I remember this episode, yeah. yeah. And so the producers caught wind of our my story. They read the book, and they just thought it would be a great segment just to put Emerald and I, you know, cold open together, oh, never wow. meeting, and then give us the time and the space. I, I, I want to thank them for that because if it was one of those, like, three-minute segments or something where, like, boom, 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 and right. then here, you know, like, find the tender moment, right. like, you know, where everything doesn't feel we right. We have beats to hit. To yeah, get beats to, to yeah, hit. Yeah. They gave us a whole day. And they allowed us to cook together, right? Wow. So he, and long form cooking, like braising and marinating and making bread and doing childhood favorites and things like that. So these are the type of recipes where uh, you help each other, and it takes long periods of time. And you're talking about like six hours of cooking type food, mm-hmm. you know, like a turkey, like a almost like a Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. And so over the six hours of cooking, we were able to talk about these stories and really like, I was able to tell him my story, he was able to tell me his story, and he cried. He cried. I mean, it makes me want to cry yeah, thinking he cried. about that. Yeah. To be working along someone who was so instrumental in, in making you realize what you wanted to do, mm-hmm. and then doing the thing that you both love doing mm-hmm. so well alongside each other is just... The fact that the universe gave you that mm-hmm. moment is really impactful. And I think for him, I don't want to speak for Emerald, but I do think that part of it was, I'm sure going through the process of making TV at that time, 
he was a pioneer and a trailblazer for us chefs. Like no one was doing cooking shows like that. You know, yeah. no one was becoming a celebrity yeah. like that as chefs. And I'm sure he was caught up in the whole rat race mm-hmm. of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now that I've been exposed to this world, I know how much pressure there is and how I don't know if you ever thought that putting out all those shows would actually like save someone's life, yeah. you know? And I think when yeah. he heard that it actually saved my life, I think it just hit him like a ton of bricks, you know? And it he puts just, everything into perspective. Yeah, yeah. And that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing. We're, we're probably almost wrapping up, but okay. like I, I want to also ask, there, there was a, a succession of your other restaurants leaving to my devastation. I love these places. Yeah. Sunny Spot closed, A-Frame closed. You were done with your contract with the Line Hotel and so yeah. Commissary and Pot were no longer something that, you know, I, I could go to. Chago is, is you know, gone. It's basically my the boneyard. That's all my old restaurants. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. my cemetery. But that was a tough stretch, to be honest. So that all happened within like a two-year process mm-hmm. between all of those restaurants, local, Chego, Pot, Commissary, The Line, A-Frame, and Sunny Spot, all closing. But they all had great runs. You know, yeah, A-Frame, runs. A-Frame yeah. had like a 10-year run. Sunny Spot, was a few year run, but that was more of a consulting project. But anyways, you know, the line hotel had a five year run. Were but these decisions that you made because you were ready a, for them to go, or is it a combination of different factors? Or? Yeah, it was a combination, but like it was just really heavy that they all happened at yes. the same time. Heavy for you and for me <laughs> and your fans who love you so much. Thank here. you. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it wasn't emotional. It really was. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I look back on them, and as you've been mentioning them throughout the pod, again, like albums, they, they were just moments in time for me, and they all lived really good lives. Mm-hmm. But like even when you talk about Modern Family, like it's, you're lucky if a show has three years, right? Mm-hmm. You had 11 years. When you're in it, you never think about this thing not succeeding. You're never thinking about, oh, like, you know, this is the last year, mm-hmm. you know, until you hear it. Mm-hmm. You're just in the moment. You're just doing your best. That's how it was for these restaurants. But then there was a point where things started happening, whether the lease was up, right, or mm-hmm. the contract had to be renewed or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then those opened up the next stage of ideas or discussion mm-hmm. of like, then it made me, it forced me to look at it. And sure. then I'm like, so the A-frame one was the de- the lease was up. It was a 10-year lease, right? So then we had to face the reality, are we going to sign another 10-year lease? Mm-hmm. And then so that made me take a step back and look at it. I, you know, I did my metaphorical ayahuasca, like mm-hmm. look at everything, yeah. right? You know, and I just went through it as deep a place as I could and like just try to figure out, is there, a, is there anything to salvage here? Can we? And I just realized it was time. You know, there's no way that, I could force it. And that was the kind of like approach towards all of them. It was just the strange part of it all is not that restaurants closed. It was just that I had five closed in two years, Yeah, you know. And is it ever for you mm-hmm. like something like, well, I don't know what more I have to say about that. Like, yeah. I've said it. I've said it beautifully. It's been enjoyed. Yeah. It's been appreciated. It's had a great run. You know, I mean. Even Cats is over. Even cats, even is cats, a, even Phantom of the Opera even has Phantom closed. <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera. So can I close so, a frame? I love <laughs> that you brought it back to theater in that way. That yeah. just makes me very happy. Yeah, you know. So um, it's like you never imagine what that end is, yeah. and it's never easy. But it's even harder to keep something open that doesn't want to stay open. You know. Yeah. And so it, those just all had reached the end of their lifespan. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I had moved on. I wasn't creatively as tuned into these places as I was, mm-hmm. you know, during the beginning and the heyday. And now I was just in salvage mode. Yeah. I was like, okay, if we're going to keep this open, we got to like do oversized pancakes and all you can uh-huh. drink brunch and, you know, all these things. So it starts to become disingenuous. Maybe disingenuous. Yeah. So those all happen. But what's weird is like, if I could make any comment on failure is that they don't feel like failures to no. me, you know, like they had their run, they closed, they were emotional. But what that does is it opens up space within you spiritually to go for the next thing, you know? Because if I had all those things with me, maybe I couldn't have opened Best Friend. Or maybe I couldn't have, you know, started writing another book or doing the chef show Mm -hmm. or things like that. Yeah. I think, you know, there's so many times disappointment is confused with... Or, you know, disappointment and uh, and grief about Mm -hmm. something dying or going away can often be confused with failure. And you're so so right in um, your assessment. What's weird about restaurants is, I mean, you bring up we're a hard business. It's one of the hardest businesses because, like, we can never break through all the way, right? And even if you're the most successful restaurant, you could be closed. Mm -hmm. Like this restaurant right here, I'm not wishing that on anyone. (laughs) But they could be packed, 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 packed. And everyone sees it like, oh, my God, you know can't get in for months and they're packed hottest restaurant in the city they could be closed in a year you know you never know it's like really it's one it's one of the only businesses where the more successful you get and the more successful you look the more fragile you get which is fucking insane but the other thing is uh like even the play that you did right like of course like you want it to go forever but you when you started like no one us civilians, I don't look at that play and say, oh, my God, it's going to be here for 100 years. Right. I look at it like this is like a very special moment. And these actors, whether they do it for eight months or eight weeks or whatever, this is like this is a run. Right. Thanks for sharing all yeah, these stories. Is, I was so nervous. Like, I've known you for so long, but we've never... We have never we've had We've never a, really had a one-on-one. Sure. We're like cousins, you know, like where yeah. you always see yes. each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like you've been around each other your whole life. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah, see yeah. each other, but you've never really like hung out, you know, like or you don't really like get into long conversations with, you know. Well, I'm but glad you that, love each other yeah. and all that stuff. Well, know? it went well, I think. I think so. We did pretty good. I was never good. Also, you're so smart and funny and witty. I was oh like, God, how do guys. I keep up? With? Oh, please. <laughs> But this went really well. Oh. Thanks for doing this. I thought you were reaching for your wallet. Oh. No, no, dinner's on me. Oh, yeah. oh there you go. <laughs> Next time on Dinner's on Me, you've seen him in Star Trek and the boys in the band. It's Zachary Quinto. We'll get into our early days at Silver Lake Gay Bars, his special relationship with the original Spock, and getting to a place where he accepts living his life on his own terms. And if you don't want to wait until next week to listen, you can download that episode right now by subscribing to Dinners on Me Plus. As a subscriber, you not only get access to new episodes one week early, you'll also be able to listen to them completely ad-free. Just click Try Free at the top of the Dinners on Me show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today. Dinners on Me is a production of Neon Hum Media, Sony Music Entertainment, and A Kid Named Beckett Productions. It's hosted by yours truly. It's executive produced by me and Jonathan Hirsch. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Chloe Chobel is our associate producer. Sam Baer engineered this episode. Hans Dale She composed our theme music. Our head of production is Sammy Allison. Special thanks to Alexis Martinez and Justin Makita. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Join me next week. 